talking about Jesus series, given that it's Father's Day, amen? Because He's our Heavenly Father, and we've touched on that already today. So we're just going to continue right on through. We're right up to John chapter 8, and we got about halfway through, not quite, um, last week. We're going to start from verse 25 today, and we're just going to talk about our Heavenly Father a little bit more. Is that cool? Uh, so Father, we just thank You for Your Word. We pray that it speaks to us today. Lord, that it touches hearts of, of the fathers in the place today. And not just the fathers, but the mothers too. Whoever's here, God, would we be blessed by your word and by your presence in our hearts in this place today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Very cool. So, Jesus, the freedom giver, is the theme for John chapter 8. And so, let's do a little bit of a recap. If you weren't here last week and we covered off from the start of John chapter 8 through to verse 24. Jesus had the encounter, which many of us are probably familiar with, where, with the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. Um, and then Jesus declared that he is the light of the world. The religious leaders then start to question his authority, uh, using the law to try and make him stumble. They try and trick him all the time. And in this case, they tried to use the law where uh, Jesus was declaring something, and whenever you declare something, you need two witnesses. That's what the law says. So not just yourself, but someone else needs to recount the information accurately as well for it to be true. And so Jesus is there saying, I am the light of the world. Well, who's your second witness? Um, and then Jesus then declares that he knows where he came from, and he knows where he's going, and that is to his heavenly Father. And God the Father is the second witness. He can testify to everything that Jesus is. Where we finished last week, the religious leaders are asking where Jesus' Father is because they don't want to believe that it's God because that would be a bit of a bee in their bonnet and their laws and, and, and make things a little difficult for them. So they refused to believe that Jesus' Father was actually God. So they're asking, where is your Father? Where is He? Show us this person. And then Jesus declares this, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. So he's suggesting that the fighter jets are coming for Father's Day. Uh, he's suggesting that if you don't know me, you don't know my father. And so none of you know who I am. You're not accepting who I am. So then he confused the religious leaders again, and he was good at this, <laughs> declaring that he was going somewhere that they couldn't come. They wondered if he was going to commit suicide. Now, we all know that that's not what Jesus meant because hindsight's a beautiful thing. But in the moment, that's the only thing in their minds that would justify the way he's talking. But that wasn't the case. The last declaration was that they would die in their sins if they did not believe who he was. And those words deeply offended them. So, we're picking up at John chapter 8. Uh, verses 25 to 26. So the scriptures are always on the screen for you. I'm reading from New King James, so if you want to follow along, uh, you can do that as well. So verse 25 and 26 of John chapter 8 says this, Then they said to him, they're talking to Jesus, Who are you? Do you think they've been paying attention? <laughs> do you think they're refusing to listen to what he's been saying all this time? So they asked the question, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. So here we're experiencing some maximum density. 
They're, they're a little bit dense, these religious leaders. They're being very selective with what they choose to believe. If it doesn't sound like truth to them, it's like they just have this barrier that they just don't want to hear it. This conversation was way over the heads of these leaders. They just missed it. And I don't think they missed it because they weren't intellectual enough. They absolutely were. They missed it because they just didn't want to believe. And so they just turned from the truth. Their direct approach was this, who are you? That's what they're asking. And it didn't get the answer that they wanted. Jesus insisted he was exactly who he said he was. They didn't like that. Instead of continuing this fruitless discussion, Jesus took the high road and didn't say any more that anything more that would condemn them. He could have got stuck into them because he's said it how many times now? I am who I am. I'm the son of God. I'm the son of man. I'm the light of the world. What, how much more do you need me to say the same thing? But he didn't condemn them. Instead, he would speak what God told him to tell the world, not just the Jewish people. So let's continue, verse 27 to 30. <clears throat> they did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. That's God the Father. That's why there's a capital F. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do these things, those things that please Him. As He spoke these words, many believed in Him. So at this point, there was a great turning back again. People were like, okay, he is who he says he is, and we believe. And so many turned to him. But the Pharisees still didn't understand what Jesus told them about his relationship with God the Father. They didn't get it. So Jesus mentioned the ultimate proof, his resurrection after crucifixion. So when that happened, they would know for sure that he was telling the truth and that he wasn't operating alone. And fast forward, we see that happen when Jesus is crucified and risen from the dead, the change. So note that some of the hard-hearted, dense group here finally believed in him. That was, that was a turning point for many of them, which is a good thing, because they need to turn to Jesus to be forgiven of their sins. So some of them got it in that moment, but many, and particularly the religious leaders, still did not get it. So... That was the ultimate proof. The ultimate proof is when Jesus is going to die on the cross and three days later rise again as proof that God is with him. He is who he says he is. And we carry on from there. So, verses 31 to 33 says this. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word. Everyone say abide. It's just a beautiful word. Abide in my word. You are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Doesn't the world use that line really well without referring to Jesus? It's a bit of a catch cry, isn't it, across the planet? You see it on billboards everywhere. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But there's no mention of Christ. They should put the little... uh, We're taught in school that we've got to reference everything, don't we? They should put Jesus Christ at the bottom, because he said it. They answered him. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? So they're offended and they're on the defensive here because they don't understand that they're trapped, that they're prisoners, that they're in chains. They don't understand that yet. 
Jesus turns his atten- attention to those who believed because many just made a choice. So he's now talking to them and Jesus urges them to continue in his teaching, abide in my word. As a result, they learned God's truth and Jesus himself as well as God's words. So God's truth was coming from Jesus. But you'll notice a lot of the things Jesus says marries up with the word written before he was even here anyway because he's God. And, and, and that God's word and understanding that and believing who Jesus is, it would set them free from slavery to sin. The Jewish leaders in the crowd took offense at Jesus' words. The very idea of telling them that they needed to be free was ridiculous. Well, we're not in slavery. We're not in bondage. What are you talking about? They weren't slaves and they never had been. But what they're conveniently forgetting, if you think about it at the time, their ancestors had been slaves in Egypt and later were taken into captivity by a couple of other countries. So they're forgetting that. But they're also forgetting that at the moment, at this time, they're living under Roman rule. They are prisoners. They had to, if, if they stepped out of line with the way the Romans... I mean, those of you that have watched The Chosen have seen it. Those soldiers are walking around everywhere. If you were to step out of line in any way... Whew, kind of sounds like today, doesn't it? Anyway, we won't go there. We'll keep going. <laughs> hold. Um, to hold to something is a verb. It's like an active word. And that's the word that comes from abide. Like to continue. It, it's... it's it's holding on to Jesus' teachings actively, not just in our head knowledge, but literally my teaching is my word. That's what Jesus is referring to, God's word. And it's an active thing, not a passive thing. So what I mean by that is to hold to means not only knowing the truth and it sets you free, but living it. Living what the words encourage us to live. Yeah, you know, Abraham had never been a slave to any man. And because he was declared righteous by God, the Jews knew that he was not enslaved by sin. So since Abraham's descendants had been God's chosen people from the beginning, how could anyone suggest that they needed to be made free? This is why they didn't get it up here. These people thought that their family background and their national heritage were enough to make them acceptable to God. So I can live however I want because I'm in the line of Abraham. It's a bit wrong, isn't it? It's like Timothy and Melody saying, well, we're all good because mummy and daddy are pastors. So we can do whatever, but we're protected. Well, no, we all know that's not true too, don't we? You know, as little children, they're under our covering. But there comes a time in every person's life where we have to make that decision for ourselves to accept Jesus as our personal Lord and Saviour. That decision is on us So when Melody and Timothy are adults later in life, they can't say, well, my folks were pastors, so we're all good. No, they have to get to a point, and that's as as parents, our responsibility is to do our best to lead them to that point where they trust in Jesus for themselves. That's what every parent's role is. So we can't lean on our past, although it's helpful to look at our past to see where we've come from and, and know what's going on, but we can't lean on it. We have to make a decision today for Jesus. That's our responsibility. All right, verses 34 to 38. We're flying today, and that's good because we've got a sausage sizzle. Who wants a sausage? There's onion as well. We don't, we don't spare anything here. Sausage, onion, it's coming. Okay, it's coming. So sit tight. I should have got Steve. Steve's cooking the barbecue for us. I should have got him to place it so that the fumes, like the presence of the Lord, would just 
come into the church. Anyway, shocking. Uh, so Jesus answered them. What a day we've had in church. We're listening to Eye of the Tiger. We're having world's greatest dad competitions. Such heresy. Pay attention now. This is church. We've got to be... Yeah, we joke. I can't believe my son said a we joke. Ah, yeah, you just saw what I did there. Took a... Yeah, yeah. Cast blame. Anyway, it's all good. Verse 34. Come on, we're reading the word now. This is holy. Jesus answered them. Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. Whoa. Wrong father, wrong family. Wow. So, so much, um, so much for only the Pharisees squirming under Jesus' teaching. This was everyone squirming now when he said something like this. Everybody was uncomfortable when he said, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. So, Jesus doesn't play favorites. He's talking to everybody when he says that. While sin can be fun, it eventually controls us. And that's the problem with sin. We all know what it's like. Um, we, we all know what it's like to want to do something right. I think if we went around the room, our hearts from everybody in this place, you want to do the right thing. You do. You want to do the right thing. But instead, we often do what we know is wrong. Isn't that odd? But it's called the human condition. That's why we need a saviour. If we could do the right thing all the time and not sin, do we need Jesus anymore? No, we don't. And so it's the human condition. It's how we're geared. We don't have to let sin pull us down, however, because when we're saved, the Bible has many scriptures. There's no, lo- more, no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ. So we don't have to let sin pull us down. Jesus can break the chokehold it puts on us and make us part of his family forever. That's what he does for us. So even though the Jews believed their family line from Abraham guaranteed them a place in God's family, they were wrong. They were completely wrong. The fact that they wanted to kill Jesus proved that they had a different father. And that father's the devil. Because I'm telling you, Abraham doesn't want to kill Jesus. The great I am spoke to Abraham. And who's Jesus? I am. Because he's God. Three in one. Here's something to ponder. Real freedom isn't being able to do what we want to do when we want. Although when we're kids, that's what we think it is, right? <laughs> Remember as a child, knowing you'd have that kind of freedom when you grow up. Like when I'm older, no one can tell me what to do. You know, I can do whatever I want, make whatever choices I want. Life's going to be awesome. I won't have parents telling me off and telling me what to do. But then later on, <laughs> you've got it right, we discover that that doesn't exist. Even in adulthood, it doesn't exist. Real freedom is not being able to do whatever you want whenever you want. Real freedom is getting out of the darkness of sin and into the light of a relationship with Jesus. That is true freedom. That's what it's all about. Because as you get older, you may be an adult, and yes, you can make decisions yourself, but you know what? Then there's this accountability thing called the legal system. 
And if you do the wrong thing, what happens? You haven't got mum and dad scolding you anymore. You've got police. You've got authority. You've got people that are put in place to make sure that society has maintained civil behaviour. And uh, so it's not about being able to do whatever you want whenever you want. That's not freedom. We think it is, but it's not. It's not. All right. Verses 39 to 41 says this. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have our one father, God. So the thinking is in a bit of a rut right now. Do you ever have that when you sort of, it's like writer's block. You just, if, you, if you're an author, Trisha's written a book, I'm sure you've had this before, where you're writing and then all of a sudden you hit a wall and you're like, where do I go now? What do I do? It's like writer's block. Well, thinking in a ruts, rut's kind of like that. You just, you can't think your way out of the position that you're in at that time for whatever reason. No matter what Jesus said, the Jewish people couldn't get past their ingrained belief that they were fine because they were Abraham's children. That's where they camped in their mind. So we're okay because we're Abraham's children. That, that was their mindset. The Jews relied on their own efforts to keep the law and on the merits of Abraham to guarantee their salvation. And we, of course, know that the only way to be saved is through Jesus. Jewish theology held that by obeying God's call, so if I was doing what God called me to do, Abraham had accrued enough merit to cover the deficiencies of all his descendants throughout history. Wow, Abraham's some awesome guy. <laughs> if he can cover the, 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 the descendants throughout history, because that's a lot of people. Thus, to claim Abraham as father was to claim a special relationship with God that was guaranteed by physical descent from the patriarch. So you can see where their minds were at. So when a saviour comes along and says, I am, no one can come to the Father but through me. I'm the light of the world. Uh, I'm going to help you be forgiven from your sin. I'm going to help lead you to eternal life. You can understand the opposition because for countless years, their mindset was that I'm a child of Abraham. You know, Father Abraham had many sons. You know, two of you know it. You all know it. You're just not singing. Do you know it? Yes. Do your kids at home do it? Right hand, Father Abraham. It keeps going forever. Lots of fun, lots of fun. So, uh, their actions actually proved them wrong, though. The, 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 the people talking about Abraham and being under his covering, their actions proved them wrong. And Jesus said so. He changed, they changed their tactic a bit and they claimed that God is the only Father. They kind of just chucked that in there. They changed their tactic as well in the way that they were dealing with Jesus. Jesus' arguments hinge on the principle that one's relationship with Abraham is dependent not on physical descent, but on having a personal faith in God that it's modelled on. So Abraham's, um, it's modelled on Abraham's faith because Abraham's faith was in the true God, the great I Am. And so their faith shouldn't be on Abraham. Where should their faith be positioned? The great I Am, the same as Abraham. So Abraham foresaw Christ's coming and believed in him. For Jesus is the I am who spoke to Abraham in the first place. And so they needed to shift their mindset. They'd taken it the wrong way. They thought if we believe in Abraham, then we're covered by what he did. But that's not how it works. The hatred that the religious elite showed towards Jesus mirrored the reaction of Satan to God. 
That's how angry these religious leaders were at Jesus and what he was saying. It definitely didn't mirror the response of Abraham to the great I am. So how could they say we're from Abraham and they're responding this way? You get what I'm saying? So let's go to verses 42 to 44. Heats up now. Got your popcorn? I'm here for the comments. You just eat the popcorn. (laughs) Those of you that know memes on Facebook. Uh, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Like he feels like, can you imagine? He's probably getting insight on the inside. I know he's God and he's perfect and all that. But he'd be a little frustrated. I mean, how many times do I have to tell you who I am? So he's getting frustrated. How many, how, who, why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. It's getting intense, isn't it? But I love it. I love how Jesus doesn't back down. For anyone who thinks Jesus is meek and mild in Christmas time, it's, oh, little baby Jesus, sweet and so cute. And This encounter with the Jewish people blows that image away because he's fired up. He didn't mince words. If they were really God's children, they would love Jesus and not try to kill him. Their actions make it clear that they are of the family line of Satan rather than the family line of Abraham. I told you it was getting intense. It wasn't a matter of not understanding his words. It was a matter of the heart and will. I think what Jesus is saying is very clear, don't you? When we read the word, it's very clear who he says he is. But the people he is speaking to refuse to accept it. They don't believe it. He's saying it and they're like, whatever. It's like, talk to the hand today. We're not interested in hearing that line of thinking. It wasn't a matter of not understanding his words. It was a matter of their heart and their heart was not in the right place. Their hearts belonged to the devil who's a murderer and a liar at that moment in time because they wanted to kill Jesus. And so they weren't happy. Not one bit. All right. Yeah, the devil's children. (laughs) Verses 45 to 47. It's gone very quiet in here. Okay, we'll keep going. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Drop mic. I won't do it. But, you know, slap the face. Whatever it is. That's just telling it like it is. You thought they were fired up before. Unlike the devil, Jesus spoke the truth. But the people didn't believe him, nor could they point out any sin in his life, which I'm sure frustrated them so much. They were deaf to the truth. There it is, deaf ears. Because their hearts were hard and they were not God's children. Even though from their mouths they're saying, we are children of God, we we follow the law, we follow... They were not God's children. 
ponder this. It's easy for God and his word to get drowned out by the noise around us. Do you agree? Particularly in a world today, how loud are some of the voices? We're in the age of a loud minority. So the minority voices are the loudest because they get the most media attention. They get the most space on billboards. They get the most, uh, what do you call it, algorithms in Facebook so it pops up in your feed. It's amazing how they can make you see what they want you to see. So it's easy for God and his word to get drowned out by the noise around us, you know, by our busy schedules. Some of us just get so busy. You know, by our selfishness and by what we read, what we watch, what we listen to, it gets drowned out. If you really want to hear God, find a quiet place. Who's got a quiet place? You so need a quiet place. If you don't have a quiet place, please find one. A quiet place is a place where you can switch off devices. You cannot be interrupted by constant noise or things that are happening around you. Uh, You can get and be with God one-on-one without interruption. That's a quiet place. So wherever that is for you, find it. Because if you really want to hear from God, you need to find that quiet place. You need it. No distractions. Read the Bible with an open mind, an open heart, and listen to what he says, and then simply obey him. Do what he says. Find that quiet place. I'm going to come to a close. It's Father's Day. Let's have a look at another video. What makes your dad happy? Hugs and kisses from me. And I love him. His family. Um, Jesus. Um, well, bowling, I think that would help. What makes your dad sad? Um, if I don't obey him. When I splash all the water around. What is your dad's favorite thing to do? Go to Starbucks. Play pillow fights. If we go like somewhere special like Disneyland or something. How old is your dad? Um, three, five, sixty-eight. How tall is your dad? Well, I'll go with like eight foot twelve or something. Um, twenty inches. What does your dad do for a job? My dad's a police officer. He protects people. He works hard so that way we can get money to buy toys for our birthday. What do you and your dad do together? Sometimes we would have like a date together. We fight and wrestle. Snuggle when it's nighttime. What's your dad really good at? Lego Star Wars. Cooking. Tickling me because he's like so good I can almost throw up. In what ways are your dad and God the same? My dad and God love me and they're perfect. God helps um, me make the right choices and Daddy helps me make the right choices sometimes too because he gives me a warning. How do you know that your dad loves you? He tells me it's because he's been with me all my days and um, he never left me. Sometimes he hugs me and kisses me and sometimes he says it to me. He's um, honest with me. He's, um, well, I can tell that he really loves me. I love you, Daddy. Happy Father's Day.
narrator on the video asks, how do you know that your dad loves you? And some of the responses were, in case you didn't understand the three-year-old speech, he tells me, it's because he's been with me all my days and he loved me. He's honest with me and I can tell that he really loves me. I want to ask another question today. How do we know our Heavenly Father loves us? I'd suggest it's because He tells us. He's been with us all our days and He loves us. He's honest with us and you can tell that He really loves you. All the same responses, hey. I didn't expect this today, but we're up here doing worship and communion and my son had to be by himself. He's eight because Melody was up the back and he just had a moment and I couldn't stay up here. I had to go down and just give him a hug. I don't know what he was thinking or what was going on, but he was touched by God's presence. But I could not, as a father, stay up here as much as I have responsibility up here. Anita would have went down if she could, but she was doing communion. So I went down. And really, that's a picture of what God does to us. You know, it doesn't matter what you're facing, what difficult challenge is before you, how you feel, how emotional you are, whatever's going on, your Heavenly Father will come down to you when you need Him. And that's what He wants to do with people today. So if you're in this place and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, our Heavenly Father loves us so much that He sent Him for us as a gift to die for you and for me. Billy, would you come up? Come on up. He was sent to die for you and for me as the greatest gift, the greatest sacrifice by any father ever to be made, giving his one and only son. And the Bible tells us that when we believe in him, we won't perish, but we'll have everlasting life. And we'll have that daddy. And I'm talking to the people now that have lost their dad. I've lost my dad. Anita's lost her dad, her earthly dad. But there's a heavenly father that loves us so much that he comes in the hardest of times, when you just need a daddy hug, he's there. When you just need comfort, he's there. He sent Jesus because you matter. You matter. And so I don't know, in a room this size, people online at home, there may be people that have never surrendered their life to Jesus. I want to encourage you to do that today and accept the embrace of the heavenly father in this place because he's here for you and he loves you and he's paid the price for you and he just yearns for you to acknowledge him as Lord and Saviour. Because the Bible tells us when we acknowledge him, when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, which we know is true in the Bible. It's a historical book that speaks the truth. When you confess, when you believe, you become a Christian. God wants you as part of His family. So would you just bow your heads in this place this morning? And if that's you and you say, Pastor Jeremy, I want to reach out to my Heavenly Father today and surrender my life to Him. What a great day, Father's Day, to do that for the first time. Or maybe you've done that before and you just really feel stirred in your heart today that you need to surrender your life to Him and recommit your life to Christ. Well, would you just lift up your hand? 
show me your hand today. I want to pray for you. I'm not going to drag you out the front, but I want to pray for you. So if that's you, just lift up your hand. Say yes to Jesus. I need you in my life, my heavenly Father. Yeah, I see that hand over there. That's great. Praise God. If you're at home, I can't see into your living rooms, but you just lift up your hand. God sees your heart. And we're about to pray, but it's not a magic prayer either. It's the response of the heart that counts to God. And so today as a church, we're just going to pray together. If you're at home online, pray this with us. Say it after me. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you came, sent by our Heavenly Father, a gift to mankind to die on our behalf, to pay the price that I deserve. You set me free from sin, from death. I now confess that you are my Lord and I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead. And so I'm a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ and I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Can we thank God for people responding in this place, online, watching it later on? Who knows? The reach is incredible now that you put things online. You just don't know who's going to click a button and have a little look. But God bless you if you just made that decision to follow Jesus. Our Heavenly Father is incredible, and we honour Him this Father's Day. Amen. Amen. We're going to have fellowship together now. So if you don't need to rush off, because I know some of you might have lunches and things to do, but please take a sausage because we have lots of them. Uh, so the way that's working, everything's getting served from where the coffee gets served. So grab yourself a coffee, a sausage, have some fellowship and happy Father's Day. Dads, men, enjoy your day. God bless you all.